0: Everybody knows this one. We've all heard it before. You know, whenever something is being birthed, in its very foundations you create this thing called culture. It happens in families. When we get married, me and my wife created a culture within our marriage. When we had children, we created a culture within our family. When we uh, create a business, an organisation, a church, one of the very first things that we do, and quite often it's done very unconsciously. We create this thing called culture. And I want to talk a little bit this morning just about that whole aspect of of, of culture and have a bit of a look at the kind of culture that Jesus had when he dealt with people. I've said this before, I'll say it again, some of you might not have heard it, The church doesn't exist because of man's great faith in God. The church exists because of God's great faith in man. Amen? The initial 12 guys that he chose weren't the smartest. They weren't the wisest. They weren't the most biblical scholars. They were southern Galilean hillbilly type people from the back hills. I don't know where the back hills are here of Lismore, so I'm not going to dare cast anything upon any group of people that may be present. But they were that kind of people, you know what I'm saying? And just like, like Chris was saying, that Jesus did a lot of things that were outside their mentality, a lot of things that were not expected. When these guys have been sitting back for years and reading about the Messiah to come, and then when he came, there's a lot of stuff about Jesus that was outside their realm of understanding it was even outside the realm of john the baptist's understanding so much so that when he was in prison the bible says he heard the works of jesus the miracles the healings the signs and wonders and john the baptist grabbed his couple of his disciples to the prison gate and said to them can you go and find jesus and ask him are you actually the messiah or should we wait for someone else because what i'm hearing you doing is outside the realm of what i thought the messiah would be like so even john the baptist had his box blown open when jesus came along And I don't know about you, but I gave my heart to Christ when I was 19. I'm 42 now, 42 now. And I feel like every time I think I know God, he does something. I'm almost at a point now where I don't ask God to answer questions because he answers one question and opens up five more that I don't understand. It's like, when does this end, God? When can I actually know you to the point where I don't have to, you know subconsciously maybe I don't want to depend on him anymore I want to know how it works so well that I can just do it myself but the point is that when Jesus came he changed culture the first thing he did was he rattled their culture some of the things that these people had ingrained into them as to what the Messiah would look like who he would be and so on so culture is a very important thing and I think it's important here as we're establishing a new entity a new church uh, to have a think about this issue of culture what is the culture that people step into when they walk in the doors of this particular group of believers, what are they encountering? Now keep in mind also that the church exists, its primary mission is the primary mission of the Father, and that is to seek and save that which is lost. To seek and save that which is lost. There is a world of people out there. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved who? The world. That's not just us sitting in here. That's the people out here in the swim, the people of the front desk the people that are actually sitting at a pub right now i i I, uh, I actually work in a bottle shop i manage a bottle shop and uh nine o'clock in the morning i've got people lined up out the front just waiting for the doors to open so that they can come on in and and dead the pain or take their medication as they would put it it's sad but people are out there doing it all these people are included in that phrase the world god so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in him, it doesn't matter who they are, if a prostitute believes in Christ, he can be saved. If a drug addict believes in Christ, he can be saved. Yeah. If a religious person brought up in the church, who has a head knowledge of God but is never connected in their heart, calls upon the name of Jesus, they can be saved. Okay. Salvation is there for all people. In Luke chapter 19, we've got this story. (laughs) I won't go through and read the whole thing, but it's the story of Zacchaeus. And it goes something like this. Zacchaeus was a, what we know is that Zacchaeus was a short fellow. He wasn't really big. Uh, we know Zacchaeus was pretty well off. The Bible says he was a rich man. So he had a lot of coin, a lot of money at his disposal. We also know that he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't He wasn't one of the guys that went out and got the taxes from the people. He was the guy that when I got the tax from you, I went back and gave it to him. And then he would hand off to Rome what he gave to Rome, but he would hang on to what he wanted to hang on to. And back in the day, tax collectors had a, a really bad name. They were actually encouraged to take a little more than you meant to, to, slip a few coins in your pocket. And then when you've slipped a few coins in your pocket, bring to me, Zacchaeus, and I'll slip a few coins in my pocket and then I'll send the rest off. And, it's a lucrative sort of a business and and apparently it was it was a contract business every five years the contracts would be up for sale roman government would sell the contracts who wants to be the the next chief tax collector and basically start his tax collecting business and it would go to the highest bidder so the romans were smart and they were taking a lot of money out of these people the interesting thing about zacchaeus though is most of these chief tax collectors the chief tax collectors were romans zacchaeus is a very very few minority the only one we know of even looking outside of the bible looking at ancient history he's the only one we know of that was a Jew. It was a job of Romans. Somehow Zacchaeus had got this job okay, and it probably had to do with the size of the region and the importance of where he was. But the point is this. He's a rich man. He's a short man. He's hated by the Jews because he's pilfering money off his own people. He's robbing from his own family. He's robbing from his own race. He's hated by the Romans simply because he's a Jew. They're using him as a puppet to take money out of his own people. So here's a guy that has nobody over here that likes him. He's got nobody over here that likes him. He's got nobody over here that likes him. He doesn't really fit anywhere. Zacchaeus doesn't have a place of belonging. Now, normally, if you're in a big crowd and Jesus would come along, you would think that a rich person could always find somebody in the crowd to step aside for them. Money talks, doesn't it? Surely a rich person could always find some gap in the crowd to get through. Hey, Jesus. But even with his wealth and his money, he still couldn't get anyone to step aside. I mean, that's that's painting a picture of a very, very outcast sort of a human being. A guy that has no place to call his own, no people to call his own. A guy that just does not belong. (laughs) Now, the story goes on, and he climbs up a sycamore tree, and Jesus is on his way through, and he stops, and he goes, Hey, Zach, come on down. I'm coming over to your place tonight. And Zach's pretty happy about that. He's finally getting a bit of recognition. Nobody in the crowd cared. Nobody in the crowd was interested. And here's Jesus, the very one they all came to see, the superstar walking through town, and he is interested in me. So Zacchaeus comes on down, grabs Jesus. I'm sure that he would probably walk through that crowd with his chest out, like, hey, look at me now. Look who's with me. You didn't want to let me see him. Guess what? I'm not just seeing him. He's staying in my house. Woo. And so they went back to Zacchaeus' house. (laughs) And then the Bible says... That Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, "Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore forfold." What's interesting about this story is, is a couple of things. Number one, there aren't many personal conversion accounts in the Bible. There aren't too many stories of individual conversions where the Bible Bible writers go into detail about the experience and the encounter. There aren't many there. There's a lot of stuff about crowds. There aren't too many individual personal ones. So when we do come across them, I think they're there for a reason, okay? Now, the second thing is, and and I'm an evangelist at heart. Uh, I've I've run schools of evangelism for mission organisations and we've, we've spent most of our life out there doing evangelistic work. But I've never come across this strategy for evangelism, Okay, All you've got to do is, after church, find a random, complete stranger, walk up to him and say, I'm coming to your house tonight. Bang, and he'll get saved. That's simple. Wouldn't it be easy if that's how it worked? Evangelism strategy, right there. I've just given you the greatest evangelism strategy of all time. Find someone out there, walk straight up to a stranger, and come to your house tonight, you're going to feed me, let me stay in your house. And they will give their heart to Christ. Guaranteed, 100%. Happened for Jesus, must be right. Yeah. No, that's not the point. But what is interesting is this. What did Jesus do to get this guy to the point where he opened up his heart? Not just to go, yeah, Jesus, I think I might want to follow you. Or, yeah, Jesus, I'm interested in you now because I wasn't before. This guy stood up and publicly confessed in front of not only Jesus, but there would have been a crowd of people around as well. You can guarantee there were other people in the room with him. There would have been people hanging around outside, probably sticking their heads in windows. If you've ever been to a, 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 an Asian country, um, when something's going on in a house, everybody hangs around, don't they? It's not just... You can't, you can't get space and quiet. I remember uh, we were, were working in a little uh, village in central India. Uh, called Campy. It was a, a, a military base, and there was a lot, of, a lot of stuff that was going on in there from the military towards the village children that wasn't real good. So anyway, we got invited in there by this guy to come and do a few meetings, and, and it was just meant to be one or two meetings. Cut a long story short, it ran into about two or three weeks' worth of meetings. God turned up. People started getting healed, signs, wonders, miracles. It was like being in the book of Acts. It had nothing to do with us, and we had no control over it. But what was interesting was as, as God began to do things, people weren't interested when we first went there because it was actually a Catholic uh, colony. So they'd heard a bit about Jesus, and, and and so another person coming in talking about Jesus wasn't a big deal. But i tell you what, when we saw the first healing, the next night we actually had to move to another place, and we had people leaning in windows, because they don't have glass windows like us. We slide just a big hole in the side, They're leaning in windows and leaning in. People are, are, are pushing, like, crowds get massive, and I can imagine that there would have been a lot of people here. Something happened in Zacchaeus' heart where in the midst of that sort of crowd, he stood up and publicly confessed, Lord, if I've ripped anybody off, Now I think deep down inside he was was given a 98% truth, if I've ripped anyone off, Lord. I don't think you know you have, Zach. But anyway, if you've ripped anyone off, that's enough. That's basically a confession. If I've ripped anyone off, not only am I going to pay them back, but I'm going to pay them back well and truly above what I'm expected to. According to Mosaic law, he only had to give back what he took plus about 20%. That's the legalistic requirement. Something happened in his heart where he said, Forget that. I'm going to give back fourfold. Man, I just want to make everything right. Something radical happened inside of his heart. It wasn't anything Jesus said. Because that's not recorded here. The only thing we know out of this story is that Jesus made Zacchaeus feel like he belonged. It's the only thing we we, we see in there. The only thing we know is that Jesus grabbed a guy who felt like he didn't belong anywhere and said, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. You know, belonging is a powerful, powerful thing. Anyone ever heard of um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? E.H. Maslow, is an American behavioural scientist in the 1900s, and he came up with this hierarchy of needs. Uh, I wrote him down somewhere. I'll see if I can find him real quick. But um, basically, it was five levels of needs that all human beings have. Now, when Maslow came up with this, he didn't study... Uh, down-and-out people or people with mental illnesses and things like that because he said if you do that, you get a bit of a distorted bottom-end view of, of these stats. He studied people like Eleanor Roosevelt, people like Albert Einstein. He studied people who were right up there who were making a difference in society, who had intellect and so on. He studied these people, and here's the five needs he came up with. First need was the physiological need. Everybody has a need for the basics of life, food, uh, shelter, etc. We all have that basic need. That stuff should be provided for us within the context of family. The second need after that was the need for safety, which he described as establishing stability and consistency in a chaotic world. So establishing stability and consistency in a chaotic world. Again, God's ideal of that is a family. The third need was belongingness. Humans have an inbuilt desire to belong to a group, to belong somewhere. We want to belong somewhere. Nobody wants to be out there by themselves alone. People might tell you they do, but they don't. Because deep down inside, we're created for community. Is that right? Deep inside, every one of us, we are created for community. We are created to be with other people. You bring the best out in me, and I bring the best out in you. Without contact with you, I can't express what it's like to be fully human. Without receiving contact from you, I can't uh, exercise that aspect of being fully human. And God wants us to be fully human, not part. Not a little bit of the way. God's desire for us is that we would be fully human, experience life on planet Earth with every aspect that he created in the beginning for us to experience. That's God's desire. So the third level of uh, of, of need is belongingness. The fourth one is esteem, and that's the esteem that comes from others' attention and recognition. And the fifth one was self actualization to become all you were created to be. What Maslow found in his studies is most people never make it past the third level. Most people never, in the whole course of their life, actually make it past belonging. They don't find a place where they actually feel that they belong. Isn't that interesting? The church should be a place of belonging for all people, not just the good ones, okay? Not just the ones that use deodorant, not just the ones that brush their teeth not just the ones who actually carry a Bible with them. The body of Christ is created for all people because God's love is for all people. Okay, God desires that every man, woman, and child on planet Earth would be saved. That is the desire and the heart of God. All Jesus did in this situation was he actually made... Zacchaeus feel like he was welcome. I remember when we first got married, me and my wife, we moved up to Bundaberg, where she was from, and we went to a church, and I won't tell you his name, but uh, you would know his name. He's a, he's a dual international now, rugby league, rugby union. He's gone on to do amazing things. And we were sitting there in church one day, and it was a beautiful church with beautiful people, by the way, great church, great people. And we were sitting there, and they were getting ready to do communion, and, and this guy walked in up the back, and I just happened to turn my head, and I noticed him. He walked in up the back, and as soon as he walked in, a guy walked up to him with a book, Handle him a book, it said, right now, read this, read this, turn to that page, read this, read, and go over here, sit down there. Walked away, and that was it. And I could see this guy's head spinning like, wow, what have I What have I done? I've walked into this building, what, what's this all about? So being the obedient man that he was, he went and sat down. When it came time for community, everyone got up the front, and I thought, I'm not going up the front, I'll go up the back and I'll hang with this guy and just catch his story, have a bit of a chat with him. So I went up the back there and had a bit of a chat with him, and cut a long story short, he's, he's a Fijian guy. And uh, what happened was he said, oh, I was, he was in the area selling vacuum cleaners because he was over here on a contract with a, a, a sporting team and in the off-season they were selling vacuum cleaners. So he's selling vacuum cleaners. He said, I went out last night with the boys and we had a bit of a night. And Anyway, he said, about 5 o'clock this morning I was asleep and he said, I had this vision, this dream. And in my dream, my big islander mother got in my face and she said, you must go to church. He said, I woke up sweating and thought, oh, man, I've got to go to church. I had a shower and so here I am. So he had a vision of his big islander mum telling him to get to church so he got up and he came along to church he walked into church and i thought afterwards i was having a chatting with jackie about it and i remember thinking i wonder what his thoughts are about church what does he think i mean this guy had obviously been to church before being from the islands and his island the mother would i'm sure if she's in his face when he's in australia she's probably in his face when he's back at home as well you get up we're going to church but what sort of an impression does that leave this guy about church what sort of thoughts does he walk away? What's church about to him when he walks away and he sees that's, that's my experience? You know, a lot of people have had a lot of weird and wonderful experiences with church. Is that right? I have been saved since I was 19. Uh, worked with a mission agency for 11, 12 years. Then I uh, was an associate pastor. Uh, me and my wife were associate pastors of church for about seven years. Is that right? About seven years? Something like that. I'm hopeless with numbers. About seven years we are associate pastor. So I can tell you, I've had some funny encounters with church. Okay, Everyone in this room has had funny encounters with church. We've all had different experiences. Some of them really, really positive. Some of them not so positive. Okay. Now, if you are here today and you have had not so positive experiences with church, just let me encourage you that we don't always represent God as good as what we should. We make mistakes and we get it wrong sometimes and so on. But please don't let that be an excuse for you not to attend. Don't let that be an excuse for you to isolate yourself because you need community. You are created to belong somewhere. So, Jesus, all he does is he creates this environment where he gets to belong. Uh, when I first walked into a church, when I was 19, I walked in with no shoes. I walked in with no shirt on because I'd just been for a surf with my mates. My hair wasn't washed. I didn't know what deodorant was till I met my wife. She introduced me to this beautiful thing. You spray and you smell really pretty. So uh, I didn't know any of that stuff. And I'll guarantee this too. I was not a very personable sort of person, so I probably ignored people. And I'll guarantee I sat in somebody's seat. That's the worst thing you can do in church. You don't walk into church and sit in somebody's seat. That'll cause an uprising right there. And I'll guarantee that I did. But you know what? The people in this little uniting church that I first walked into, they were so lovely. They were all about the youngest I think the, 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 the youngest person in Kids Church was about seventy five. Okay. They were really, really but you know what? I don't know how they did it. They made me feel like I was welcome. They made me feel like I belonged. I didn't have to do anything to be a part of their little group. I didn't have to change, I didn't they just accepted me. Warts and all for who I was. And I've never forgot that group of people. I still bump into some of those people every now and then. They're still walking around the area um, yeah, with these things. But they're still getting around and so on. But the point is they made me feel like I belong. They made me feel like church was a place where I should be. And that's what Jesus did. Ever, ever wonder, uh, uh, Jesus seemed to have this natural ability. You've ever heard the saying, oh, I don't want to go to church because the roof might cave in. I've got family members that say that to me. Uncles and that have said, oh, if I walked into the church, the roof would cave in, you know. Um, I don't think it would, actually. I've seen people walk into churches before. I've never seen a roof collapse on people, but somehow in people's mentalities, they feel like if I walked into a church, the roof would cave in on me. And like I said, I've had family members say that and so on. But Jesus had this amazing ability whereby prostitutes and alcoholics... And, and 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 tax gatherers, and all the people of society that were the down-and-outers and the outcasts, for some strange reason, they could sit around a table with Jesus, have a glass of wine or a beer, chew on their steak or their veg meal, whatever it was that they wanted to eat. They could do that, and you know what? They must have felt comfortable in his presence because none of them had to be there. Isn't that amazing? But they felt comfortable around... There was something about the person of Jesus Christ the incarnate God, something about God himself that people should feel like it's okay to be in his presence. It's okay to be with God. It's right to be with God. You know the people that really got Jesus going up? It was the religious people. People with their religious pride. Who, hey, Jesus, you're sitting with tax gatherers and sinners and alcoholics. Don't you know that lady wiping your feet with her hair? Don't you know who she is, Jesus? Oh, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery? What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Oh, it annoys me. And you know what? They're the people that got the reactions out of Jesus. Is that right? It was the religious people. What God hates the most, you know, the sin that God hates the most? It's religious pride. Religious pride. Where we feel like we're better than everybody else. I love the way that Jesus talks about people in the Bible. It's amazing how often he, he didn't refer to people as... He didn't define people by, by you're an alcoholic, you're a prostitute. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what religious people do. Oh, he's this and she's that and he's this and so on. You know what Jesus saw quite often? And he would talk about in his parables. He saw a lost and a found coin. He saw a lost and a found son. He saw lost and found. He looks down from heaven today and he sees two, classi- two classifications of people. He sees lost and he sees found. He sees found people that are on their journey with him. Imperfect, got problems, got struggles, got issues, but he loves you to death anyway. And you know what? He sees lost people out there exactly the same. And it breaks his heart because they haven't found him yet. But you know what? They're just on a journey on the other side of salvation. But they're on a journey. They're moving towards something. They might not even realize it. But by the very nature of being created by God, they are moving towards him without even realizing it. There's something inside of them that's making them search for connection. Something inside of them that's making them search for fulfillment. Something inside of them that says, this is bad in my life, so I've got to numb the pain somehow. I might be using drugs, whatever. But you know what? You're right. That pain that you're feeling, you weren't made to have it. Yes, that's right. That part of you is correct. You're not dealing with it correctly, but that part of you is right. And God's using all these things, and he's bringing people on a journey so that we will all stand before that cross and surrender ourselves. The question, I guess, the challenge for us is when they walk into the door, into the, into the room, into our church, what do they feel? Do they feel like they belong? And that, get, that can get messy because people are messy. Do they feel like they should be there or do they feel like they've got to go away and scrub up a bit, change a few things, then I might be able to come back into that group. You see, this issue of belonging is such a powerful thing that it, it can cause some real problems for the church. I've just got listed here three Three little issues that can arise in the life of any church if we don't get this aspect of culture right. Because that desire to belong is so powerful. It's so powerful that 13-year-old kids right now are joining street gangs in Los Angeles, knowing statistically they'll be dead by the time they're 18. They know that. They're educated enough on it. They've seen their family members, friends. They've seen it happen. But they're going to do it anyway. You know why? Because they just want to (laughs) belong. The desire to belong is so powerful that kids will make decisions against their own conscience and against their own values and they will do things that they swore they would never do just to fit in because of peer group pressure. Peer group pressure is about belonging. In order to belong, you must act this way, do this, take this, whatever. And they will do it. They'll go against their own conscience. When I was growing up, I was I always hung out with kids who were a little bit older than me. And I was, I've was i never been a really aggressive sort of a guy. I'm a sporty guy, but never been aggressive, never liked fighting. But I would deliberately pick fights with people and start fights. You know why? Because the guys that I was hanging around with who were that, that the year or two older than me thought it was cool to start fights. So in order to fit in with that group, I would go around picking fights all the time. I don't know why. I was never real big, you know. Um, but I would go around. It was probably because I knew I had these guys behind me that if things got out of control, I'd I'd come out on top. But... I didn't want to do that. And you know what? Every time I'd throw a punch, something inside of me would, would cry. I'd like, it was like my heart had tears coming out of it. But I would do it anyway because I just wanted to belong. I didn't have a great family environment and I wanted to belong somewhere and I would do anything that I could to belong. Okay? The thing for the church is that that same thing can happen. People can want to fit in so badly that they'll do anything to belong to the church. And this is where we've got to get that balance and that culture right. That desire to belong, it's so strong. The first thing that it can do is it can cause pride. Our behaviour is right, your behaviour is wrong. It's a bad aspect of church culture. You know, a few years ago when we came back from India, I was in Brisbane and I was driving along uh, with a... I met a pastor up there and I was doing a little bit of work with him and we're driving past a particular denomination. As we drove past, I'd never heard of this denomination, by the way, and he pointed across to me and he said, oh, see that church over there, Alan? I said, yeah. He said, don't go to any of them. I said, oh, why? He said, well they have parties and they drink wine. Don't go near those guys. No. They have parties and they drink wine. Don't go near those guys. How often have you heard, don't go near those people because they believe in healing? Or don't go to those people because they speak in tongues? Or don't, don't listen to them because they, they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? or and, and there are so many things that we can point fingers at. And basically it's about elevating ourselves, making ourselves feel like we're just that little bit more superior than any other church or any other group of believers. And lowering the standards of, 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 of other people basically we're right and they're wrong and we've got to be very very careful with this desire to belong that we don't allow pride to creep into our hearts For, as individual people that can happen quite easily we need to be aware of becoming a word that i created last night unregeneracist ever heard that word no because it's not real i made it up last night unregeneracist i wrote down here a definition of racism right the Oxford definition of racism, the belief that all numbers of each race possess characteristics, abilities or qualities specific to that race, especially so as to distinguish it as inferior or superior to another race or races. That's what racism is. racist is sometimes the way the church is towards the unregenerate people outside the walls of the church. We kind of feel like we're just that little bit better than them. And when they come on into the church, do they feel like they belong? Do they feel welcome? Or do they feel this unspoken thing that you don't quite belong here, mate? You haven't quite made it yet. You're not one of us yet. They're a member of the human race. They're one of us. They just haven't hit the cross yet. Okay. We've got to be careful when people come into our church that we have that attitude of belonging, that we create that environment where people feel like they belong. We don't want pride in our churches. We don't want pride in our group. We don't want that us and them distinction because Jesus never had that. Jesus actually had a, a better time and more productive ministry with them than he did with those that apparently knew the Bible back to front. He turned up and spent more time, did miracles, healings, all sorts of stuff, and the religiously proud people, as a matter of fact, they were so... Full of knowledge that the Bible says that when he came, they didn't even recognize him. Here's the guy that you've been reading about all your life. You've been studying him out for generations, and here I am. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are those that speak of me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. Pride, we've got to be careful of pride, religious pride. Second thing is secret sins. People want to fit in so badly into the life of the church that they will hide stuff from you. That's not Christianity. That's not productive. That doesn't help people. I want to be your friend, warts and all. You see, when people start hiding stuff, that's when the church starts going. Huh? I, I would never seen that coming. I wouldn't believe that he would do that. How many times have we seen it? We read about it in the papers. Some minister, for example, or or some person that you know who you thought was this, and then all of a sudden one day they've cheated on their wife, or all of a sudden one day they've 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 come out and said, I'm, I'm, I'm homosexual, or they've come out and said, I'm a drug addict, or I'm an alcoholic, and you've sat there going, wow, but I've sat in church with you, and I've heard you preach, I've read your books, I had no idea. I wonder sometimes whether it's that sense of belonging. If I am honest with you about my weaknesses and my faults, will I still be able to belong? Will you still let me be in your group? Will you still let me journey with you? Will you still let me come and worship Jesus? I would rather be with a group of people that uh and all open and honest about who they are sometimes church can be like a masquerade party can't it? we get to that door and we put on our best mask hey praise jesus hallelujah La-la-la. it's wonderful how's your week oh bless god brother it was fantastic it was excellent hang on this morning i had a massive argument with my wife before we got in the car i got so mad i wanted to punch my child in the face but instead i kicked the dog i'll apologize when i get home all the way here i was cursing and swearing i raised my voice if you, you know I mean, these are are common life issues. I'm not saying everyone did that, but I'm saying I would much rather be in an environment where I can be honest with you. If you react to my honesty, I will pull back. If you don't like me being human, then don't spend time near me because I am incredibly human just as you are. And I think when we talk about creating culture in a church, wouldn't it be great to have that kind of culture because Jesus had that culture. He knew they were prostitutes, sinners. He knew all this stuff and they knew that he knew, but somehow it worked. Somehow the connection worked and lives were changed. And we want that to be a part of the Christian culture. It needs to be a part of the Christian culture. When we lived in India, there was this chicken shop, a bakery. And uh, I don't know if you know much about Hinduism, but Hindus will claim to not eat meat. Okay. Now, I say claim because I know for a fact they love their chicken. And we used to live in in, in this particular colony and we had these uh, Hindu uh, friends. And we would go down on Sunday after church, we would go down to this little bakery shop, and you sort of walked, It was a, there was a stadium, and you walked sort of down a bit, so you weren't street level, you could sort of go down and hide in there a little bit, I guess, and we would go in there, because they made the most amazing chicken puffs, they were beautiful, so we'd go in there, get our chicken puffs, and you'd be there one week, and I'd see the neighbour on the left, and he's over there in the corner eating his chicken puffs, say, hey, hey, how are you, oh, the chicken puff is beautiful, oh, I love my chicken puff, oh, lovely, wonderful, yes, oh, but, 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 but don't tell anybody who saw me eat the chicken puff, oh, it's okay, mate, I don't care, eat chicken if you want, whatever, I won't tell anyone. And the next week I'd be there and the neighbour on the other side would be sitting in the corner, oh, Alan, please don't tell anyone I'm eating the chicken puff, but oh, it's a beautiful chicken puff, oh, I love a chicken puff, beautiful. (laughs) And in the end I'm scratching my head going, you know what, you're eating chicken puffs and you're eating chicken puffs, why don't you both go down there together and have a chicken puff party? Why are you hiding this stuff from each other? Do you know why they're hiding it from each other? Because they just might not belong. If the rest of the Hindus know I'm eating chicken, they might not let me belong to the little groups. And so we hide these things, and we shouldn't be like that. I'm not saying we'd be stupid and tell everybody everything, okay? (laughs) What I'm saying is as a culture of a church, nothing should shock us. Nothing should shock us, okay? We are not perfect. We are all on a journey. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, but of God. And let's never forget that. You know, sometimes I actually think the world needs to see us struggle. I honestly believe that. I believe sometimes my unsaved mates need to see me struggle. They need to know I struggle. Because if they see me struggle, they'll see the way I deal with the struggle and they see me come out the other end. But quite often they look at us like, you guys never have a problem. That's not true. We face the issues of life like everybody else, but we have a rock we stand on. We have a God we connect to and we have someone that walks us through that. Okay? Finally, The end result of not creating that belonging environment is it creates false disciples. I will behave simply so I can belong. I will act and look the part just so you'll let me fit in. And we don't want that. We want genuine disciples of Christ. Is that right? We want the church full of men and women of God who are genuine, honest, committed, not afraid of their flaws, not afraid of their humanity because we understand it's not about me anymore. It's about him in me. It's about God's spirit and God's grace. I'll get the musos to come on back. (laughs) A few years ago, uh, I had a friend of mine. She was in a mission agency with us. And I remember one day she was looking really down, sad. It was lunchtime. And I went over to her and I was having a chat with her. And she said to me, look, she said, I've just got news from back home. She said, one of the guys in my church has just committed suicide. He's just taken his own life. (laughs) She said, it's really rocked everybody because he was the youth leader. He was running the youth group at the time. He was running discipleship groups. He was running evangelism. He was doing all the stuff. And he was right up there and looked like he had it all together. And then he just entered it. That was his way of saying to the world, you know what? I don't have it all together. I've got stuff. And I don't know how to deal with the stuff. About 12 months later, I saw her in the kitchen again. And she looked down again. I went over to her again and I said... Hey, Adriel, what's what's going on? You don't look yourself. <laughs> she said, "You're not going to believe it." Another guy in our church has gone and done the same thing. He was another one of these guys that was right up there and had it all—you know, looked like he had it all together on the surface. Everything was great, but obviously he didn't. And that was his statement to the world: "I've got pain. I'm struggling. I'm not saying it's the case, but it did get me thinking at the time. I wonder what the environment is like." in that group? Do these people feel like it's okay to say, you know what, I'm actually having a struggle here. What does that mean if I say to you I'm imperfect? What does it mean if I say, are you going to question my faith in God? I'm not a believer in all the pat answers of Christianity. If you just go to church, pray and read your Bible, life will be sweet. It doesn't always work like that. That's just an easy cop-out for us. Because if I just say that, And then you're struggling because you're not doing those three things. It's easy. I don't have to get too involved in your life. I don't have to deal too much with you. I don't have to, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. It makes me angry when I hear that come out of the mouth of a Christian. I believe we need to go to church. I believe we need to read our Bible. I believe we need to pray. I believe in all those things. But I also believe we need connection with other people because it's through other people that I experience God. I don't know God's love until I actually experience it through a person. I don't know God's grace until I experience grace through a person. And that's how God has set up the world, and that's how God has set up his church. We experience the invisible attributes of God through other human beings. That's why we've got to be connected. That's why we have to get this issue of belonging down pat, especially in the culture of a new church. It says that as Zacchaeus was trying to see the crowd in verse 3, it says he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd. Mahatma Gandhi was asked once, what's the biggest hindrance to Christianity in India? you know what his answer was? Christians. A cler- English clergyman, what's the biggest hindrance to Christianity in India? And Gandhi, without batting an eyelid, said Christians. I'm not in the mind of Gandhi. I don't want to try to interpret exactly what he meant with that. What, who was stopping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus? It was the crowd of people that came to see Jesus. And Quite often, it can be the church itself that stops people from seeing Christ. We don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a place of belonging, a place where people feel like they can come in. Warts and all, I can't fix all your problems, but guess what, I can introduce you to someone who can help people on that journey. I can introduce you to the author of Life. I can introduce you to the guy that died on a cross 2,000 years ago. The guy that took the pain, the shame, the, the, the rubbish and the, the junk that's in your heart, that's in your world. Some of it you've caused yourself, some of it you haven't. But I know the guy that's taken all that 2,000 years ago and opened a way for you to be reconnected to God and become fully human again. His name is Jesus. Let's all stand together for a second. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you have not made that connection with him, then I'm going to ask you at the end of the service, I don't want to embarrass you or do anything here now, but I'm going to ask you at the end of the service, would you grab somebody, maybe someone that you came with, and have a chat with them, ask them the question, how how, how can I get to know this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? If you're here today and you do know Jesus, Maybe something we've said this morning has touched a bit of a nerve there. Maybe maybe you're still on that journey of belonging. Maybe you feel like you can't be honest about stuff. Let me encourage you, don't wait till it's too late. If you've got issues and stuff going on, grab somebody. Can you pray with me? Can I talk to you? Don't bottle stuff up on the inside. It creates a culture within your own world. It creates a culture within the church. And it debilitates the church and it debilitates your own life. Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this morning, God. And uh, Father, I've probably gone way longer than I was supposed to, but maybe i'm an hour short i don't know but father i just thank you for this morning god i thank you for this, these people here god i thank you for this church lord and uh, father i just lord we combine our faith today and we believe you for big things for this place god we know that this community has a lot of people a lot of people who don't belong this community has a lot of people who are searching for a place to belong god a place of acceptance we know that father And God, our prayer today is that as they walk in here, they will feel that acceptance and that love. And Father, even as we walk out of here, that as individuals who are connected to you, individuals who call upon your name, individuals who know you, that Father, in our own personal world, we will create that place of belonging for those who don't know you, Father. And God, I pray as we go out from this place that we would be that answer, Father. We would be those that the people that don't know you feel comfortable to come to, knowing that we will accept them as they are, God. jesus name if anyone would like prayer this morning we're just gonna get these guys to finish off with another song if you like prayer just come on forward doesn't matter what it's for you want to believe with you and pray that god will touch your heart god will do something for you if not then i'm assuming what we do